If you're interested in partnering with Magical Storybook English Nanny Bedtime Stories or wanting to know more about sponsorship opportunities, then visit our website www.magical-storybook.com. You can also download free read-along books to accompany our fairy tales. Our Magical Storybook podcast, Mere and the Curse of Camelot, is now an exciting new novel, available to download on Amazon or buy as a printed book. Follow the link in the podcast details. Welcome to Magical Storybook, a collection of children's stories from around the world. Mia and the Curse of Camelot Chapter 8 The Land of the Dragons They knocked on the door of the old dragon's lair. They listened, then shook when a voice roared, Who's there? Mia stared into the valley to make sure that she was actually seeing what she thought she was seeing. There they were. Hundreds of scaly, feathery and toothy creatures of all shapes, sizes and attitudes. A warm current of air drifted towards them and brought with it a foul stench, a mixture of wet, sweaty socks and rotting meat. Oh, she retched, holding her nose with one hand and placing the palm of the other over her mouth. She watched the dragons as they busied themselves, wandering around among the mud caves and what looked like farm buildings. Some were gathered in small groups, their heads together as though there were some secret transactions going on. On this side of the village, a group of young dragons chased each other some way up the valley bank, leaving the smallest crying as it struggled to keep up. There were some structures that looked like small workshops, too small for all but the tiniest of dragons to enter, but the broken puffs of black smoke rising from the chimney suggested that there was some sort of industry going on inside. The village was cradled within the horseshoe shape of the Hydra Mountains, and between the village and the south rock face, forest covered the ground. And to the west of that, there were fields on which dragons appeared to be planting saplings. They were wearing hats with large brims to keep the sun from catching their faces. They have a village, Mia eventually said. There was no reply. She looked at Morian. He was looking at her and had a crumpled brow as if to say, yes, and? You can understand why they don't want humans to find this place, he said. Her eyes kept being drawn towards the dragons planting trees. It was such a strange thing for Mia to get her head around that they were digging holes with their hands and gently watering the trees with small buckets. A large wooden wagon rolled in, pulled by a rather flabby but strong-looking one who lumbered forward. He came to a halt and all the tree-planting dragons gathered around to help unload the saplings from the open back. They're green forest dragons, Morian explained. Their ancestors planted the ancient forests that grow here, and these dragons continue their work. They also fight fiercely to protect them from destruction. That's why Molly doesn't allow many humans to travel to this. A sudden great blast of wind cut short his sentence and almost blew them off their feet. 
A dragon flew over their heads and towards the village, carrying a suit of armour in its feet. It hovered at the mouth of a gigantic cave, and then, with a tremendous clatter, it dropped it in a heap before flying off to join the farmers. The cave was a curious sight. It was much larger than all the others and at the furthest distance away. Mia could just about see that a metre inside the hollow was a large wooden door. She waited to see whether anyone came out. No one did. She looked over at Morian, about to ask him what the plan was, but stopped when she saw him sitting on the grass, his eyes firmly fixed on the valley below. Down there, he said, pointing to the large cave. That is where our quest takes us. He rose to his feet. I hope that you're feeling brave, he laughed as he began walking towards a nearby bank of trees on their right. Why? What's in there? she asked nervously, following him down the bank. Tarask, he shouted. One of the most foul-tempered beasts that I know. Mia stood still and flashed her eyes between Morian and the cave. She felt the sudden urge to shout after him that she was not going to go any further. But instead, she found her legs running to catch up with him. Oh, and he hates humans, Mia heard him mutter. Then why are we going? she complained. Morian stopped to let Mia catch up. Because he is the only one who has the blaze armour and weapons. We must be well armed before we even attempt to talk to him. They made their way down into the valley and towards the old blacksmith's forge. Morian opened the door to the workshop and a wall of smoke hit them. Good day to you, Gobar, called Morian as they walked through the low door. A loud noise like the sound of thin metal being dragged along stone told them that the blacksmith was in. The room did not have any windows and it was dark apart from a glowing furnace at the far side. I'll be with you in a moment, came the reply. He sounded quite irritable, as though this was not the first time he'd been interrupted that day. They walked over to where the orange flames illuminated a section of the wall, and against the light they saw the shadow of a figure at work. Mia squinted to get a better look at the man. He was very short, probably only as high as her waist, and his overalls were shabby and covered in soot. He pulled a long piece of red-hot metal three times his height from the flames and carried it over to an anvil. Mia stood mesmerised as the man hammered the hot metal into a sword shape. He was one of the gnome folk, the master swordsmiths and armourers of Camelot for 10,000 years. Morian was always bemused by how they were able to spend hours crafting such sophisticated weapons. It took a great deal of skill and patience, which the gnome folk were not well known for, at least not when it came to dealing with living creatures. After a few minutes, Gobar held up the sword and inspected it. When he was satisfied that it was perfect, he put it down and looked up at his visitors. Humans, he declared with a gruff voice. Then he picked up a funny-looking glass contraption and stared at Morian through it. The last knight that came here without armour was charcoaled by a battle dragon, he grinned. What brings you here? Then he proceeded to shuffle towards them, pulling on their clothes and sniffing them. 
Do you mind? snapped Mia, snatching the bottom of her t-shirt from his hands. The gnome looked up at her with small pokey eyes. I didn't mean to offend you, my lady, he sneered, dropping into an exaggerated bow. We don't get many humans in this land, especially ones dressed like you. I was making sure that you weren't one of the witch kind. Witch kind, said Mia, wiping away some soot from her jeans. Do I look like a witch? The gnome raised his eyebrows sarcastically. Morian turned his head away from them and tried not to laugh. Gobar gave a toothy grin, but otherwise remained silent. Well, continued Mia, it's not very polite to pull at someone's clothes and, ah, sniff them. That's gross. Besides, how can you tell by sniffing someone that they're a witch? Because witches smell of incense, of course, he answered, still looking at them suspiciously. They use its smell to carry their evil magic spells to the souls of the weak. He wagged his fingers in Morian's direction, like him. Morian looked embarrassed by the insult. And trick them into doing things that they wouldn't usually do if they were of sound mind. Like walk into the land of the dragons unarmed. We're here because we desperately need the help of Tarask, Morian replied. Gobar looked stunned. You mean to steal his armour, he said, before dismissively waving them away. To borrow it, protested Morian. It's the only thing that gives us a chance of defeating Morgana. What care I of the human world, said Gobar. Do you think that she will always be content with the throne at Camelot? It will not be long before she gets bored and comes looking for other worlds to wage war against. The gnome's face twitched at these words, but he continued with his work. And what do you want from me? he muttered. Morian lowered his tone to try and win the gnome over. Lend us the swords and shields that we need to protect us when we approach Tarask, he begged. You fools! screamed Gobar. Do you think that the best way to approach a dragon you want help from is to bear swords? What primitive creatures you humans are. Tarask will set you alight and I will lose some fine weapons in the process, he snapped, turning his back on them and then examining the sword that he had just made once more. Morian grew angry at these words. If the dragon kills us before we have chance to explain, what good would that do for any of our kingdoms, he argued. Morgana may be satisfied for now with the lands that she has conquered, but it won't be long before her need for excitement brings her here. Some of the dragons might survive her magic, but what about the gnomes? Are your kind strong enough to fight her? The gnome shifted uncomfortably before responding in a more gentle tone. There isn't a sword or armour that can protect you from Tarask. His instinct for vengeance against humans is too strong. When he was a child, he saw them destroy his family and friends for sport and so-called honour. The dragon's habitats were destroyed by the greed of mankind and now he protects the remaining few hundred dragons with a force that you should pray that you never have to witness. But there are dragons imprisoned in Morgana's dungeons too, said Mia. They once fought alongside the humans to protect this land but now they're statues in her underground trophy room. 
Why wouldn't Tarask want to set them free? The gnome turned and looked at Mia with shock. Because nobody in this realm knew about them. Tarask certainly doesn't. Yet. Mia and Morian hid behind a large tree and waited for the gnome to come out of Tarask's lair. Without warning, a thunderous roar came from within and a fireball sent the cave door catapulting through the air. Gober came flying out with it, his hair and clothes scorched. Get down! he shouted to anyone in earshot. Dragons, gnomes and humans threw themselves to the floor as seconds later a monstrous creature smashed through the rock and took to the sky. It bellowed loudly, causing a shower of fire to rain down. They looked up and saw Tarask's colossal brown wings and tail vanishing over the mystical mountaintops. Well, he didn't take that news well, said the gnome, shaking the soot off his head. But now he's gone, I can show you where he keeps his armour. He led Mia and Morian by candlelight into Tarask's lair. They winced as they walked through the piles of human skeletons that were lying on the floor. Some were still wearing melted armour and clenching their broken swords in their hands. They continued on through a network of dark caverns until they came to a closed metal gate. They were surprised to see Gobar produce a key from his pocket and turn the lock. Stay close, he said, leading them deep down into the dungeons below the lair. The air underground was thicker and more exhausting to walk through, as though somebody had placed a heavy damp cloak on their back. You can feel the souls who dwell down here, can't you? he said. Gobar, stop scaring the girl, scolded Morian. The knight didn't feel anything of the sort and looked over at Mia to reassure her that there were no ghosts down there. He was taken aback to see her nodding in reply to Gobar. Is it haunted? she asked, not actually wanting to hear the answer. The gnome laughed. They are the twilight travellers, those who, while they are sleeping, leave their bodies to visit other worlds. Mia looked over at Morian, who looked just as horrified as she was. Who are they? Morian asked nervously. Some are from this world, but others have passed through the veil from other worlds to look at us, as we do them. The travellers who are down here with us once came to look upon the dragon, but somehow their energy has become trapped. Now they roam these caverns, trying to find the portal back to their own world. The idea of being trapped down there in the dark sent Mia into a panic. Can't we show them the way out? she cried. Suddenly, a freezing cold gust of air spiralled around them, blowing Gobar's candle out and plunging them into darkness. Screams echoed through the chambers and Mia felt her spirit being lifted up out of her body. She moved upwards through the rock and down again into an open space where the ghostly white stag was waiting for her. It transported her through the veils that separated the different worlds until they found the physical bodies of the twilight travellers, still in the place where they had fallen asleep. Some of them were just children tucked up in their beds 
while two adults were lying in the sun under a strange-looking tree on a planet that she didn't recognise. One old man had fallen asleep in his chair. His dog sat beside him, waiting for him to wake up. And, in a spacecraft that was speeding through another universe, a woman slept soundly while her companion was cooking food on a circular blue flame. The stag travelled on and Mia followed him until eventually they passed through the dark tiled hall under the castle at Camelot. She hovered quietly above the statues until the silence was broken by high-pitched cries for help. Then she saw the faces of each enchanted man, woman and creature walking towards her and begging her to set them free. Mia put her hands over her ears and yelled for them to stop. Suddenly she felt herself being shaken awake by Morian. She was lying on the cave floor. The whirlwind had stopped. Gobar was holding the relit candle above her. Let's get out of here, she cried, stumbling to her feet. Before you have what you came for, said Goba, pointing to a nearby wooden door. Morian was the only one strong enough to push it open, and it moved with a loud creak. On the other side of the door stood ten suits of armour, glowing with the magical orange light that only existed in metal that had been forged in dragon flames. Displayed on the wall and glowing with the same orange light was an array of swords and shields. The dragon's armour, laughed Morian with delight. Yes, said Gobar, examining its workmanship. The dragon's armour was forged by Tarask's flames and my ancestors' hands. Then predicting that Mir was about to ask a question, he explained... The dragon's armour and the blaze swords are the only weapons that have power enough to protect the wearer from ancient magic. King Arthur said that this weaponry existed, but none of the knights believed it, said Morian, picking up one of the swords and swinging it in front of him. They thought that it was just legend, but I believed in it. That's why you were brought to it, said Gobar. Only those who believe will acquire. In no time at all, Morian and Mia were dressed in dragon's armour and Gobar was guiding them out of the tunnel. They were rubbing their eyes and getting used to the brightness when they heard Gobar making a strange musical sound. A moment later, two mountain dragons flew down and landed next to them. Gobar asked them to take Mia and Morian back to the castle. I will meet you there, he said. They climbed onto the creature's backs and soon the dragon village was far below them. <laughs> <laughs>